This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everybody, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In this program, we've got Tanya Harris with us and we're discussing the gift of prophecy. It's going to be an exciting program. You guys, stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. We've got an exciting program for you today as we're diving into the subject of prophecy once again uh, to discuss from a theological position the gifts of the Spirit found in Scripture. Uh, if this is the first time you've tuned in, I would encourage you to hit the subscribe button, maybe like the video, share it around if it blesses you. And uh, Maybe you're a reoccurring uh, viewer here on the channel and you love the content that we produce. We want to remind you that we're entirely crowdfunded. If you want to support the channel, there are links in the description to do so. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a reoccurring giver there on Patreon. If you choose to give on Patreon, you can get access to extra content. One of the pieces of content that we've been producing recently is our response to the documentary Cessationism. If you haven't checked that out, go check out last week's episode there Wednesday uh, on the Cessationist documentary. It's going to be one of many installments. We would encourage you to go check that out. It's going to be a lot of great fun. Uh, I want to introduce you to my guest today. Before I introduce you to my guest, I want to remind you of my co-host, Mike Roundtree there over there in Oklahoma. How are you doing today, bud? Uh, just, you know, remind them, you know, so they don't forget. Don't want you guys to forget well, I'm here. I'll tell you so. what, man, that intro video Shit, that, that introduces both of our names just a moment ago, it was all of five That's, seconds ago. They've forgotten you already. It's I, I'm very forgettable, for sure. Uh, it's one of your best man. characteristics. <laughs> Uh, so I, I'm doing well over here in the forgettable state of Oklahoma, um, but uh, excited to speak with our new friend, uh, Down Under. That, that was probably terrible. It was probably insulting to Tanya. Did I just offend you by, by saying it that way? Uh, kind of we're used to it, Michael. <laughs> it's so good. You're, you're used to Americans <laughs> offending. That's really what I hear anytime no, I travel no, internationally. No, we love Americans. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tanya, excited to have you on the show. Excited uh, to just uh, read some of your work and uh, and interact with you over this really important subject. So, uh, Tanya, if you could, maybe just take a moment and introduce yourself to our viewers and help them uh, know who you are, what you do, and and how they can follow your ministry. Yeah, I have a ministry called God Conversations that equips people to hear, recognize and respond to God's voice. Uh, I guess for me, this is something I do in different cultures and churches all around the world through speaking and training and and writing. Uh, It's a a journey that began as a young person. I grew up in a church that believed that God had stopped speaking, cessationist, um, at the close of the canon. And at 21 years old, I met someone who claimed to hear God's voice. And I was super fascinated by that. I'm like, imagine a conversation with the creator of the universe. 
uh, but I had lots and lots of questions. So I prayed a prayer. I said, God, could you speak to me? And if you do, could you make it really clear? And if you make it clear, I will do whatever you say. Mm. That was my prayer. And um, as the story went, um, God did speak to me and God made it very clear. And I ended up doing what God said after a little bit of discussion. And uh, life turned out to be very different than what I expected. I started out my working career as a school teacher and at the age of 26 called me to ministry, which was extremely confusing to me because I was raised in a tradition that didn't believe that women could be in ministry in any shape or form. Uh, then I was involved in various um, ministry expressions, planting a church and working in Bible colleges and with youth and overseas mission. And then down the track, God said, Tanya, your job in life is to take everything that you have learnt about hearing my voice and pass it on to other people. And so the Ministry of God Conversations was born about 15 years ago. Um, and yeah, so it's been a really interesting journey. Um, I still had lots of questions along the way. I saw lots of issues in the church lots of theological and pastoral issues. And so about seven or eight years ago, I commenced a PhD. Um, who knew that you could do a PhD in hearing God's voice, guys? <laughs> but my heart wow. was to, to answer some questions and to solve some problems because I, I learned that hearing the voice of the Spirit changed my life. And I saw that it was the blessing of the new covenant that many people were confused about and perhaps even missing out on. So I wanted to see what I could do to contribute to that space and help people connect with the voice of the Spirit in their own lives. Now, you mentioned just now, like, hey, who knew you could write a PhD on revelatory-like gifts? Uh, do you feel as if there has been a decline in conversation and dissertations and academics when it comes to the Pentecostal charismatic space, specifically in regards to uh, spiritual gifts such as tongues and prophecy and, and those sorts of things? You know, in a PhD, what you do, the first thing you do is a literature review, right? So you read everything that there is to read on your topic. And I was still four years into my research and I could not find a theoretician who spoke to this area fully. And I was like, what is wrong? <laughs> there was just this <laughs> massive gap. In fact, I remember very clearly as a 30 year old, just starting out at Bible college. And I remember going into the library because I, I had experienced the voice of God. So I'd had these experiences and I was trying to understand what was happening. So I went into the library um, to find some books to sort of theologize about what was going on and get some clarity. And I walked in and I noticed that there were two types of books. One was written by Pentecostal practitioners and they had lots of great stories, you know, like spectacular experiences and God said this and God said that, you know, akin to, to, to the scriptural experience, which was great, but no depth of theology, you know, there was no footnotes, <laughs> no references. And then I went to another group of books that were theoretical, um, deeply well-researched and theological, but they, it was clear that they hadn't had the types of experiences that um, the Pentecostals or at least the Pentecostal practitioners had experienced. And so there was a massive gap between the two. And then when I went into academia, I the gap was, it was virtually absent, to be honest. There were a couple of works on prophecy, but I make a distinction between prophecy and hearing God's voice 
understanding that hearing God's voice is a part of the new covenant that was given to everyone that we see in Acts 2. And the gift of prophecy, um, particularly as spoken about in 1 Corinthians, is a gift. It's a grace. And, you know, some are really good at it and others have other gifts and the body works together to to strengthen the church and the body. So, so yeah, um, it is a neglected area, I would suggest, in the Protestant tradition as a general um, general rule. Okay, so you, you started touching on the difference between our new covenant inheritance, which is hearing God's voice directly. Uh, and uh, and so I'd like for you maybe to, to kind of drill into that. I think you're probably referring to Acts chapter 2, the Spirit's poured out, and Peter quotes Joel in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit, and you'll prophesy dreams, visions, and all that. But I, what, what I want to do is maybe juxtapose that with the experience that came before the the spirits poured out and they're all speaking in tongues and and i think some people read that and they're like shouldn't you quote a like uh, if you're going to quote the old testament shouldn't you quote a verse about the gift of tongues why is tongues happening and you're quoting a like a verse about prophecy when he quotes joel chapter two and so my question is like it, in that situation was pentecost a phenomenon of prophecy? Was it a phenomenon of tongues? Or is this the the launching of a new covenant inheritance of some kind, or maybe all of the above? Maybe you could just speak into what's really happening there in Acts chapter 2. Yes, good question. We can only understand the new covenant, really, understanding the old covenant first. So what we see in the old covenant um, is that God reveals God's self to God's people and reveals himself largely through um, prophetic experience. And so we get back to that scene with Moses and, and God wants to speak to people and invites people into conversation and revelation. But the people are too scared to hear from God. So they say to Moses, go up the mountain and you hear from God and come back and tell us what God said. So that's what happens. You see God speaking largely through prophets. Um, Moses, the prototype of all the prophets to come. And then after him, we see this tradition of specially anointed and appointed messengers who would hear God's voice largely through dreams and visions. And um, we know this because we've read the literature of the Bible and we see that God often speaks in, in picture language. It's a very powerful an effective mode of communication. You've heard that phrase, a picture tells a thousand words. So they would hear God's voice in dreams and visions, largely, and then they would pass on or prophesy the message to the people. Um, so it's a, it's a second-hand relationship. It's um, they're hearing God, but they largely go through a prophet. But then the prophets themselves realize that this isn't the ideal. And they began to speak of a new covenant, a new time when the spirit would come fully on everyone and everyone would experience um, the spirit for themselves. It would be though as though God wrote his words on everyone's heart, not on tablets of stone. So you, you read about Jeremiah speaking of these things, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and of course, Joel. And then Jesus comes and Jesus comes as the living word in the flesh, very um, much the full revelation of God's message, where once the prophet spoke the words of God, now we get Jesus as the word of God, meaning that everything Jesus said was God's word to us. But not only that, everything Jesus did was God's word to us, the full and perfect revelation of, of God. And then, of course, we know that Jesus um, spends those three years with his disciples speaking to them, and then he announces that he's leaving. And um, 
I, you know, I, I often put myself in the position of the disciples. How would that feel? Jesus, you can't leave. How are we going to hear your voice? You know, you're about to give us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, Jesus, we've never done that before. How are we going to know what to do? You know, we're supposed to help build the church, but uh, Jesus, you know, what's a church? <laughs> and then Jesus says, it will be better if I go. It's for your good if I go, because if I go, I will send you my spirit and my spirit will remind you of everything that I've taught, the truths of the gospel, you know, the way of salvation, what the kingdom looks like. My spirit will remind you of those truths, truths now recorded for us as scripture. But then he says, I've got so much more to tell you, um, but don't worry because my spirit's going to speak to you and speak to you about things to come. Those things that are going to come up as you go out on my mission and you continue my ministry, my spirit will speak to you. And of course, uh, those words are fulfilled because Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and then he leaves. And we get to the moment that everyone has been waiting for, the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit is poured out on everyone. And yeah, we see lots of miraculous phenomenon happening, including tongues speaking and, and foreign languages and this Spirit coming on all. But then right in the midst of it, Peter stands up and he speaks those, you know, those iconic words in Acts chapter 2, 17. This is what was promised by the prophet Joel and others, that when the Spirit comes, your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will have visions and your old men will have dreams. So the question is, well, what does he mean by that? And again, remembering the background of the Old Covenant when the main mode of revelation for the prophets was through dreams and visions, was through this picture language. They would hear from God and then they would prophesy, they would pass the message on. So what we see is the shift, the significant shift that Peter highlights is this ability now that everyone has the Spirit, they can hear the Spirit directly. They can hear God's voice in whatever mode that God speaks, but then they can prophesy, they can speak it out, they can live by it if it's for them, but then they can also pass it on to others if the message is for others. And then as the church unfolds in that understanding, we see the Holy Spirit speaking over 20 times in the book of Acts reminding them of everything Jesus said. The word of God goes out and spreads and people begin to follow Jesus. And then we see the spirit of God speaking about things to come. Those issues that came up as they took the gospel into their situations. So, you know, you see Holy Spirit speaking to Philip about who to share his faith with, Holy Spirit speaking to Peter about what the church looks like, Holy Spirit speaking to the leaders in Antioch about who to send on mission, Holy Spirit speaking to Paul about which direction to go, east or west. And then as the Bible unfolds, again, Holy Spirit speaking to things about, you know, Paul's thorn in his flesh and about what's going on in his life. And of course, the church leader, John, in the book of Revelation, hearing God's voice about how to um, cope with the pressure of living under the Greco-Roman Empire. So that was a very long answer, Michael. But good, I think though. that Acts 2 is best understood um, in line with the Old Covenant and what God was doing. So let me kind of ask the kind of follow-up question that a, a cessationist, a skeptic, a, a charismatic who believes in these things but is not quite practicing these things, makes sense of this idea that God can speak and does speak to everyone. Um, 
And because if, if that's true and that that is part of this new covenant, why does it seem or appear that so many of us in the new covenant are not experiencing that? Um, you mentioned earlier that there seems to be a gap and a divide between the theologian and the practitioner. Um, and, and we have seen quite a bit of that divide as well, trying to reintroduce theological conversation to this. I, I think this feeds into that very question. There's so many people who are part of the new covenant that we would acknowledge their Christian faith in their cessationist. And, and they would claim that they're not hearing God lead them outside of what they can read in scripture. They would they would claim that the vast majority of Christians aren't hearing that kind of revelation. So how, how are we to understand if God is speaking to everyone that's part of the new covenant why is it that we don't see um or experience that as much as we think we should in scripture that's exactly the question that i have asked myself and what i have discovered is by and large people are hearing the spirit but they haven't recognized it and part of the problem with that is that there has been a bit of a disconnect between jesus and the holy spirit and so remembering that the Spirit came to continue the mission and ministry of Jesus, what that means is hearing God's voice is best situated in the context of discipleship. So every time I'm convicted of my sin, every time God speaks to my heart about an attitude or a behaviour, calls me to forgive, calls me to lay down my pride, calls me to be generous instead of be greedy, every time God calls me to step out of my comfort zone and speak to a stranger, that's the spirit at work. It's just that we don't always label it as such. So quite often, as I travel in different churches, and quite often I'll talk about, you know, this is the blessing that we have, and I get people coming up and they say, Tanya, can you please speak to me? I can't hear God's voice. And then I begin a conversation with them, and we realize they already have heard it. They just didn't recognize it. And even with cessationists, so I had a conversation recently with a leading um, cessationist from, from your country, and he talked about how he experiences conviction and inspiration. And I said to him, well, what is that? It's the spirit. It's the spirit communicating with you, leading you to become more like Jesus. Now, what has happened, I think, um, part of the confusion is that typically we think of God speaking, and there's nothing wrong with this, but it's only a tiny sliver of the experience. We think of God speaking, God's going to, you know, promote you, and you're going to have an amazing future, and God's going to da 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 and all those wonderful prophetic moments which we love, and that's certainly part of what God says. But I would suggest that remembering the context is Jesus. The Spirit speaks is the continuing voice of Jesus. And that voice leads us to a cross. Take up your cross and follow. And as we respond to the Spirit's voice, we experience resurrection life. Now, out of that comes all those beautiful promises about destiny and God's, you know, got more for us and blessing and favour and all those lovely Pentecostal sayings that we love. But... Um, I think a lot of people expect to hear God saying, you know, I'm going to promote you into greatness as opposed to wash the dishes for your, for your spouse. <laughs> um, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's reminded me, I'm, I'm in a moment going to read one of the quotes uh, from one of your articles, but it, uh, what you're saying reminds me of that. It also reminds me of just all throughout Acts, I've made this a similar observation that when the Holy Spirit is speaking over and over and over and over and over again, almost every single time, it's about how is Jesus continuing his mission? And yeah. we tend to come, 
you know, we want the fortune telling horoscope for our lives. And, uh, and, and so this quote actually kind of relates to that. And I'd like for you to maybe respond to the quote. And it, it's kind of along the same lines of what we've been talking about. But I, I think there's just more here. I'd love for you to unpack this quote for us and what you mean by it. Uh, you say, without a Christological framework... Uh, by which to establish the ultimate intention. So I'd love to know what, what you mean by that. Revelatory experiences are more likely to be driven by the desires and demands of the individual and reduced to lightweight spiritual entertainment, tantamount to fortune telling, rather than manifestations of divine purpose. So could you unpack that for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps a good way to answer that is, you know, I've been teaching on this topic for a long time. And part of what I would be teaching is, well, how do we know it's God? You know, that age old question. And I would always say, well, of course, we test it against the scriptures. And um, I remember being in the middle of one of my seminars and this, I had this constant thought in the back of my head, one day uh, a really smart person's going to come up to me and they're going to say, Tanya, you know, I heard from God, I tested against the scriptures and, you know, God told me to commit genocide, Deuteronomy 7. God told me to marry a prostitute, Hosea 1. Or God told me to divorce my spouse because they're from a different race, Ezra 10. And I'm like, hang on, that that. That's not what we mean when we say tested against the scriptures. What do we mean when we say that? Well, what we mean is everything the Spirit says will be consistent with God's character and nature as displayed in the scriptures. So the next question is, well, how do we know what God's character and nature is? Well, that's why God sent Jesus as the full revelation, the perfect image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says, in the past God spoke through the prophets, but now God has spoken through his son. And, and we now have this beautiful, tangible demonstration of what God is like. Three years of Jesus's ministry, speaking and interacting with people. Now we can see the kinds of things God says. So anything the Spirit says to me today will be consistent with Jesus, everything he said and everything he did and that makes discernment much easier and it also means that when i hear the voice of the spirit i'm not always going to hear what i want to hear i'm not always going to hear you know roses and uh, <laughs> so-called blessing i'm going to i'm going to hear things that deal with my sin that deal with my baggage that make me more like Jesus, that release me from that, set me into freedom and teach me what it means to love God and love others, removing the idols of my heart. That's where the core ministry of the Spirit begins. And then, of course, from that, of course, God's going to speak about blessing and favour and, and the desires of our heart, but not without the context of a, a, a cross-shaped life that follows Jesus. And I think this is where our danger has come. In fact, when I've been reading a lot of the literature around this, a lot of the books, you pick up a book on hearing the voice of the Spirit, and Jesus is hardly mentioned. You know, it, it's it's separated from what Jesus spoke about the Spirit himself. And I think this is where the danger has lied. So we've turned this hearing God's voice into this fortune telling, you know, um, what I want to hear. We hear what we want to hear, don't we? We see what we want to see. It's even, there's even a psychological phenomenon for that. Um, how we, we, we just love to screen things through what we want. And that's yeah, that really dangerous. Lies. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So dangerous. I I'd be I'd be curious, you know, the 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 concept like I think it I think it's good. I think there's like meat on those bones of like talking about wanting to test everything against the character of Jesus. 
I, I guess I would be concerned that people would want to test things against the character of Jesus um, in contrast to the Old Testament. And, and I don't know, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you're familiar with, actually, I, I am sure that you are familiar with just kind of the the use of in Jesus' name. You know, Jesus would never um, say this against LGBT, you know, people. God, Jesus would never tell someone that if they identified as, you know, a gender that they were out, they weren't necessarily born with. He would, he would never condemn them. He would never command them to, you know, to be obedient. So, like, there are, there are very, uh, common cultural mores, cultural uh, sins that are re- relevant and prevalent in our day, such as abortion and those kinds of things. And and people will say, well, the Jesus that I serve, he would never say anything about this. He would never condemn this. He would never call this sin. He would be embracing of all of these things. You know, the idea of Jesus being, you know, you, his character being used as a way to test these things. Can you show me, like, like not show me, but explain to me maybe where the line is because I think there are there are versions of Jesus in Jesus' name where people skip the part of Revelation where you know he's bringing judgment and wrath and and they just want the the parts of Jesus in the New Testament that are congruent with their their worldview. Uh, could you maybe show me how we can we can resist that version of testing prophecy through the character of Jesus um, because people have used that in an inappropriate way? Yeah, I think probably the best way to um, address that is to go back to the example of the early church. And I've often put myself in this situation, particularly um, the classic model, the classic example is Peter. So remembering his background, he's called to build a church, but he doesn't know what a church is. (laughs) He's he's just preaching to the Jews and then he's praying about, I guess, what, what his ministry is and what it should look like. And he finds himself on a friend's house in Joppa on the rooftop and he's hungry and he's waiting for lunch and so he decides to pray and then he falls asleep and he dreams of food and then he sees this crazy vision that seems to suggest that now the gospel is for the gentiles too and you know we read that story as a matter of course it's very familiar to us but if you put yourself back in those first century shoes and you understand the radical messaging that came across and then the ripple effect of what that meant um, how did peter know it was god seriously he's hungry he dreams of food and he says god told him that now this good news which had been reserved exclusively really for the israelites all throughout old covenant history and you've got the scriptures portraying that and so the interesting thing is that when they are in that process of discernment and and particularly later on when the leaders in um, acts chapter 15 at the council of jerusalem are trying to work out is this god now i think they had worked out it was god because all of the things that had happened after the vision but they 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 read a scripture from Amos and they they talk about they quote a scripture from Amos but it's interesting that they could have also picked scriptures from the old covenant that said the opposite because it wasn't completely clear that um, this message was for the Gentiles eventually as well because there are different angles on that in the old covenant so the question is how did they know it was God what was their litmus test and I think knowing Peter and knowing that he'd spent three years with the living word of God in the flesh and he later on he remembers what Jesus said um, about a related issue that's his framework because he remembers Jesus said the spirit would come and continue what he's doing so the question really was well is the gospel for Gentiles too, 
would Jesus say that? And then you can see that as he works that out, he's trying to discern. And scripture was somewhat limited in relation to, to Jesus. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because remember the New Testament talks about the old covenant being a shadow of the new. And the part of the reason for that, we, we live in a better covenant because now we see clearly we have Jesus. They never had Jesus. And Jesus was a demonstration of what God is like in perfect um in a perfect way. So I think um, the scriptures are the backdrop to that story, crucial in understanding the story of God, but Jesus becomes our, our standard. And, you know, part of it for me um, is this spirit that was given to everybody. Now I have a PhD, I have got multiple degrees in theology. I've done, uh, you know, comprehensive studies of hermeneutics, so I can use those skills when I read the Old Testament. But I think about children, and I think about people in illiterate villages who don't have those kind of skills. How do they know what they're hearing from the Spirit is, is, is from God? And I remember talking to a friend of mine, she works in Uganda, and I said, how do you teach them how to know what the Spirit is? And she said, I just tell them the stories of Jesus. Um, I was talking to a, a young man, I was um, a young boy, I was doing a, a training session again on how do you know it's God. And so we were asking the question, what, question, what do you think the Spirit's saying to you? And he said, I think God is telling me to be friendly to the boy in the playground that nobody talks to. I said, okay, so how do we know that's from God? Would Jesus say to be friendly to the boy in the playground that no one would talk to? And um, then I said, oh, do, do you remember that story of, of that man who nobody liked? Everyone hated him. But remember, he wanted to see Jesus and he climbed a tree because he was really short. Do you remember that story? And then do you remember what happened afterwards and what Jesus said to him? And we unpacked the story of Zacchaeus. And the question was, well, then, if Jesus was friendly and open and warm to the man that everybody hated in Zacchaeus's life, would the spirit say to be friendly to the boy in the playground that no one would talk to? And it becomes very much, um, uh, it uncomplicates things, if you like. And now I know things are complex and I understand that um, we have a responsibility to think and to be discerning and to think through what that means. But I think when Jesus sent his spirit, if we understand that the spirit speaks as the continuing voice of Jesus, then that decomplicates all of this area for people. Does that answer your question, okay. Michael? Uh, for sure. Yeah, I think it. I think it does. I want to keep pressing into this Old Testament versus New Testament thing, though. You cited a few examples. Uh, you talked about Israel being commanded to uh, to slaughter Canaanites, and uh, or we had one scholar come on the show who said, "Well, not really slaughter, just drive them out, and if they stuck around, then slaughter those." Either way. <laughs> Uh, some people got killed at the command of God and, uh, uh, or take Genesis 22, Abraham to kill your son, or you mentioned Hosea being told to marry a prostitute. First Corinthians seven, Paul says, don't marry an, un an unbeliever. I assume that woman probably was an unbeliever, uh, or Ezra divorce these non-Israelites. And, uh, Paul says that if you're married to an unbeliever and which really yes they were of a different race really the religion was the key issue and uh and paul says if you're married to an unbeliever stay married and, and so we have these contrasts so what would you say i i know you you love to get practical so um what would you say if someone came to you and they and they told you tanya 
God has told me to do the same thing Abraham did. God has told me to do the same thing Israel did to those wicked unbelievers. God has told me to do what Hosea did and marry a prostitute, etc. How would you respond using a Christocentric hermeneutic, a new covenant model for prophecy? You know, the prophets of the old covenant looked forward to our time, to a better covenant. And that means that we can hear God's voice more clearly than the old covenant people ever could. I know that's a radical statement, but if you think about that, um, we have Jesus. We have the full revelation of who God is. They lived in a shadow. We have crystal clarity. And someone like Abraham, you know, it's a really interesting story because remembering his backdrop in the ancient Near East world, child sacrifice was normal. The gods all demanded that. It was quite a common practice. So when God spoke to Abraham, take your child and sacrifice him, um, that, that, that wasn't unusual. That was, okay, so he, off he goes. But the revelation of that story is that God commanded him not to. And then as we read through the Old Covenant, we read through the Old Testament, what we see, and later on God reveals more of God's self when we see um, that God abhors child sacrifice. And then later on we see he, he, he also doesn't look tastefully on animal sacrifice either. So we see this, um, this understanding about what God is like. As we move through the Old Testament, then we come to Jesus and we see perfect clarity. And I think that's why, you know, the New Testament writers emphasize that so much, that this is a better covenant that we live under. And so sometimes what has happened, I think, in the church uh, a little bit around this is that we keep landing in the Old Covenant. And, you know, um, some of the problems that happens here is that we start to use old covenant leaders as models for the prophetic. Um, I, you know, came across some research that was done in Africa, for example, and about the prophets. Now, I believe in the ministry of the prophet, but these were these these men um, were setting themselves up as a new Elijah and they were modeling themselves on that and conducting crusades and charging money. And everyone came to see the prophet to hear from God. Um, and, and I think, well, why is their model Elijah? Why isn't their model Jesus? And why isn't their model the understanding of the new covenant prophet whose main call is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? So for the prophet, that looks like equipping the saints to hear the spirit for themselves and to follow it so they become like Jesus. And so sometimes we get this, this confusion, I think, um, and we keep going back to the old covenant. And sometimes I wonder why that is. And perhaps... We would prefer to hear from a prophet rather than go to God ourselves. Maybe that's what it is. Um, maybe there's fear operating of getting it wrong. There's probably a number of factors there. But, but we are in the new covenant. We have the blessing of the spirit. And Jesus himself said, it's for your good that, that I go because I'm going to leave you my spirit. And I understand that um, has its risks and its dangers, um, but that's the pattern that Jesus gave us. So you, you would say it appears... Because I, th I think um, there may be some confusion. So I got people in the comments saying, okay, so is, is she saying that um, the old covenant got it wrong because they had some kind of inferior God speaking to them? And now that we have Jesus, we have Jesus speaking to us and we have it more clearly. I, I don't think that's what you're saying. I think, and I'm just going to repeat it back to you and let you clarify. I think what, what I hear you saying is that in the unfolding of revelation that we have in the Bible, so Old Testament, Old Covenant, God's chosen people, and they're pushing back darkness and, and, and preventing the kind of spread of the Canaanites, the spread of specific groups where God 
you know, promised not to flood the earth with water again. So now he's using Israel as his his uh, people uh, to to um, to destroy people of oppression, right? As in God used Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, he, he he smote them. But but after Israel is established, they're kind of his kingdom on earth that executes his judgment. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he is now. Uh, he is now elevated to this covenant to all people everywhere. So we learn that genocide is no longer within the heart of God in, in that it wasn't taking place in the old covenant under specific guidelines as God's justice in the earth. Now that covenant has extended in the life of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus in such a way that now all of God's co- all all of the peoples of the earth can be a part of that covenant community, and the way that we wrestle uh, against uh, the principalities and powers of darkness is no longer through swords and spears and javelins, but is now through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. So, so it appears as if what you're saying is just as Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son, there was a future revealing and unveiling of the contents and will of God's heart. Uh, in the same with kind of a genocidal sort of bent that in Jesus, we see that Jesus has reconciled all peoples to himself. So it's not that the Holy Spirit in the old covenant is somehow inferior to the Holy Spirit given in the new covenant speaking through Jesus. It's the same God at work, but through the revelation of Jesus coming to the earth and the new covenant being inaugurated, we can see the fullness of God's heart and intention. So it sounds like you're saying we have better tools to discern, not that it's uh, well, better tools to discern and that collectively the body of Christ can hear God speak uh, and, and, and what way that discernment process. Am I am I banging on all cylinders? What would you correct yeah, that's in that, really, that I just said? Make sense of it for us. That's for really good, Josh. No, no, that's, I, I, I like how you describe that. Um, yeah, because we do have to reconcile um, some of the background in the Old Covenant with Jesus' words to love your enemies and do good to those who hurt you. And so, um, you know, when Jesus is resurrected and he appears on the Emmaus Road and he starts to teach the disciples about the Old Testament and he says, all this backstory is to point you to me. And so I think it, it, it hearing the Spirit today forces us to understand the background, the backstory, and to see it in the light of Jesus. And that's the healthy way to see it. Um, otherwise, what tends to happen, um, and can I give you an example, if, if it's okay, um, some of the furor totally. around... The recent prophecies that came out of your country and your political situation, many of the prophecies surrounding the presidential campaign, for example, with Trump, um, used the frame of reference from the Old Covenant. So they said, no, Trump is like King Cyrus. And through um, his leadership, that God's favour is going to come in the same way that it did for God's people under King Cyrus. And um, so what you see there is a, a, a referencing, a discerning through the lens of the old covenant, a theocracy and, and the way it was then. But you and I know that Jesus never said to Peter, Peter, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Rome. I want you to drum up support in the Senate and I want you to bump Tiberius off and then my kingdom will come. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the frame of reference shifts because of Jesus. And um, so I think. What we need to do is to shift our lens. And when we do that, we will start to see our churches and our lives looking more like Jesus. You know, and I think if you look through church history and those of us who have studied church history understand that the church hasn't always done a great job of reflecting the life of Jesus. And many things, abhorrent things, have been done in the name of God told me. Um, at genocide and slavery and uh, um, inquisitions and and 
again, against the, the, the lens of Jesus, it falls short of what God came to, to give us. And that, I think, needs to be our lens. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Well, so uh, I'd like to push in. So as we're talking about Old Testament versus New Testament prophecy, you know, Wayne Grudem wrote some books on this and uh, was a major voice in theological circles, probably um, when he was writing one of the most prominent theological proponents for New Testament prophecy. And uh, he did a lot to advance the continuationist cause. Uh, and at the same time, his views of prophecy were uh, interesting. And so uh, th this is a quote from you. Uh, you describe Grudem's view of prophecy as, quote, epistemologically unreliable, fallible, and bears minimal authority. And so, uh, so obviously, you want to push back on Grudem a little bit. And of course, Grudem's view of prophecy is it's, uh, is it's kind of like, you know, God's revelation in humans' words, and you know, and since it's the new covenant, hey, we can, you know, in the old covenant, everybody was right all the time. Like, nobody ever missed a prophecy, stoned the false prophet. In the new covenant, now prophets make mistakes, and, you know, it's okay. So, now, I'll tell you, at Rindit Radio, we're, <laughs> we would frame Grudem's as the, the continuity view. And we would hold a dis, or sorry, as the discontinuity view that, like, hey, now new covenant prophecy, now we can miss, but they used to not be able to miss. And uh, and so Grudem's view would tend to maybe say suggest that it's less reliable and bears minimal authority, kind of like you said. At Remnant, we would hold more of a continuity view, and we would say, well, the way Old Testament prophecy was in the Old Testament, in terms of people can speak for God. Uh, still holds true. We would also say that people could miss it under the old covenant. And we have some examples of that. We've talked about it many times and, uh, and the same. So uh, kind of with that in mind, I'd love to know where you stand on the continuity versus discontinuity approach. Do you believe Old Testament prophets could miss it uh, just as well as New, New Testament prophets? And furthermore, how would you push back on Grudem's view of prophecy when uh, when you describe it as unreliable, fallible, bearing minimal authority? How would you expand on maybe your pushback on Grudem? So Wayne Grudem was uh, doing the church a favor in arguing for continuing prophetic experiences, which was a real gift to the church. But unfortunately, it doesn't really work. And the cessationists have seen this. And I know uh, for me to understand, for to understand my journey, I need to go back to my own story, raised as a cessationist, and then at 21, starting to experience the voice of God. And as the years went on and God spoke to me, there was one particular occasion, I was living in my home city in Melbourne, and God said, Tanya, at the end of this season, I had just started um, leading a church and working in a Bible college in Melbourne. At the end of this season, you're going to be, I want you to go to Sydney, which is about an hour's flight away. And I, when you go there, you're gonna be the academic dean of the college. And the way that came to me was through a dream. I saw a scene, and I just kind of wrote it off, as you do. A year later, that scene came to pass exactly. And then people around me started seeing the same thing. They started speaking prophetically and it was, it was so clear. 
it was information they couldn't have gained in any other way. It wasn't, it wasn't wishy-washy, it was clear as clear. And what we see is the beautiful confirmation of the Spirit speaking to more than one, a pattern that we see in the New Testament um, church. So what I had then was I had this word from God and as I started to move and to follow that word of God, I remember thinking, um, well, should I go to Sydney? Now, the model of understanding that Gruden purports is that when we hear from God, we can hear from God, but it's not as clear as in the Bible times. It's not as clear, therefore it's not as reliable. And if we say it can be clear, then we are now attacking the authority of the Bible. But here's me, I have this clear word from God. The question is, does it have authority over my life? Should I move to Sydney? And if I do move to Sydney, will God's word come to pass as God had promised? And so I go back to my Bible and I go, well, God's word came to pass when God spoke to the biblical characters. And, you know, when Paul heard from God in a dream, you know, the man from Macedonia and God was saying, don't go into Bithynia, don't go east. And the man from Macedonia appears in the dream and says, come west, we need you. And the next morning, Paul gets up, packs up everything and heads west into Europe. And he does what God says. So now I'm going, okay, should I do what the biblical characters do? Or should I disobey? Or is it um, binding on me, the word, I think? people like to use. And um, I came to the conclusion that the God of the Bible is the God of today and that God can speak powerfully and clearly. Um, humanity today is, is as it was in Bible times, flawed <laughs> as an agenda, can get it wrong. So everything must be tested. I had tested what I heard. So I obeyed it. I followed it. And as I did that, I saw the word of the Lord came to pass powerfully and miraculously. So the question that we come back to on this whole area, because I believe the position that says we can hear from God, but just not as well as the biblical characters, is highly problematic. Because once we've tested a word from God, and if it is from God, authority comes from the speaker, from the one who spoke it. And God's word doesn't return void. God's word achieves what it was sent for. And Jesus says, my people hear my voice and they, f they recognize it and they follow. And that's what discipleship looks like. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus when in the time of the spirit. And so to say, uh, it's not as clear. Now, what, what, what Grudem is trying to do is he's trying to put some safety barriers around it. But I think the safety barriers are in the wrong spot. The safety barriers need to be in a super tight process of discernment that comes through testing it against Jesus, through testing it in the community and through the effect that it has. And that's a very simple tradition that we see right out of the New Testament. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, many of the teaching in this area glosses over the book of Acts and where we see this model outworked in the church. And I think we need to, we need to base our experiences on the New Testament church. Tanya, I agree so much with that. I'm, I'm curious when we are talking about prophecy being clear and bold, I don't think I hear you saying that there can be prophetic words that are maybe vague. Now, actually, again, we're gonna hold to this continuity view that prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament is actually the same. There's prophecy in the Old Testament that's scripture. There's prophecy in the Old Testament that's God speaking that is not scripture. There's prophecy in the New Testament that is not scripture. And there's prophecy in the New Testament that is scripture. Uh, we would say that there is um, words that help individuals direct their life and specific affairs and words that are for all people everywhere. Those words for all people everywhere seem to be scripture. And uh, he, in the New Testament, we see a similar pattern. But that's not to say that 
prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament can't also be hard to understand. Uh, in talking in terms of clarity, uh, the Job, you know, God speaks your way and their way, though man may not re- perceive it. He spoke to Moses face to face, but not with all the other prophets. He speaks to them with riddles and dark sayings. Uh, or even in Acts, like you mentioned, the book of Acts is often left out of this conversation. And the apostle Peter has a trance that he falls into. He wakes up from the trance and it's perplexing to him. He has a hard time understanding it and comprehending it. Um, Final example, I'll give John 12, right? God speaks audibly from heaven and people standing around go, uh, I think it was an angel and others were, oh, I think it thundered. <laughs> God speaks clearly yes. through an audible voice and people still have a hard time understanding and comprehending it. So uh, as far as talking about, okay, if it's clear and it's bold, we have this system of testing, but what if it's vague? What if it's a riddle? What if it's a dark saying? What if it's hard to understand? What kind of practical advice are you going to give to someone who says, I think the Lord may be leading me, but I'm not quite sure. He's giving me these dreams. He's giving me these visions. He's speaking to me through the church, and it doesn't seem extremely clear. He may be leading me to do this. I think that there is a the reason I'm asking this question is pastorally, I've met people who just, they had almost mental breakdowns. And and I again, people, I know one guy who fits this description. He was in a charismatic movement and he always thought God was speaking to him. He thought every thought and, and feeling and emotion he had uh, was the Lord leading him. And he was having these almost breakdowns, just being paralyzed. Well, if this is God, it's binding on my conscience and I better do it. And was really freaking out about what he should do. Again, I think this is a rarity. He ended up becoming a cessationist because it just was palatable. It was, he was able to live and cope with this constant pressure. He wasn't able to live with it and cope with it. So he just became a cessationist as a default position because he's afraid of disobeying God. So how would you weigh in on the person who goes, Hey, well, prophecy can be hard to comprehend. It can be difficult. How should that person live their life in such a way where they're not constantly in fear of disobeying God when it might just be their own emotions and thoughts. Yeah. Two, two thoughts. One, I go back to the New Testament church and what you see in Peter's vision. So he has this random vision of unclean food, get up, kill and eat. I can't eat that food. What are you talking about? This is unclean. The law says I can't go near four-footed animals. And then I'm hearing this voice and it seems to come from heaven. Am I crazy? What is going on here? And what we see in the narrative is that Peter is in the house and he's wondering about the meaning of the vision. And in exactly that moment, he hears a greeting at the door and he goes down and he opens the door and who does he see? Romans, Gentiles. Now think about that. He's just seen this unclean food that would have turned his stomach. He's hungry. He's waiting for food. And then he, he he's being told to eat this, what he understands is repulsive food. He'd been trained all his life not to eat it. And now he's at the door and he sees these Gentiles and they're inviting him over to a man called Cornelius's house for dinner to come over. And again, not allowed to socialize. Oh, I can't do that. And then, hang on a minute, what's going on here? And what you see here, this beautiful new covenant experience, because now the church Sons and daughters, young and old, all have the spirit. So God can confirm his word by speaking twice. So while Peter's having his vision, right over a day's walk away in, in, in Caesarea, another man is experiencing a vision of an angel and God speaks to him. And it's like God gets them together and they have a conversation. Peter, what did you see? Cornelius, what did you hear? And they realize that God is speaking twice. And what we see, there's safety in numbers. And I believe that this is the pattern for the New Testament church. In fact, in my own life, I've seen this time and time again. You know, I would have a dream 
And I would wonder, I'd wake up going, what was that about? And then I would share it with my flatmate at the time. And she had the other half of the dream. <laughs> it was just mm. awesome. And then in my PhD research, that sort of thing happened all the time. God would speak twice. And sometimes it's really simple things like, you know, you might be um, having your attention drawn to a particular verse of scripture one week and you're pondering on it and you're wondering, is that God speaking to me? And then you go to church on Sunday and lo and behold, that's what the, the preacher is speaking about. And there's this beautiful synergy in God. And again, we can hear the Spirit much more clearly now under the New Covenant because the Old Covenant didn't have that. They had the prophets, but they were the lone voice in the wilderness. Now we've got community where we can talk about our experiences and test them. And so I think that provides a safety, understanding that we can get it wrong. And it's really important. Yes, we have this beautiful gift and blessing of the Spirit who speaks, but hey, can we have some humility here? Because I have an agenda. I have desires. I have ideas about what I want to mm -hmm. hear. You know, God's yeah. speaking to me about a new red sports car. And suddenly, oh my gosh, the preacher's preaching about ask whatever you want. And I'm going to give it to you. And you're thinking, oh, that's a new red sports car. And then you go out and you see a red sports car pass by and you think it's a sign. Like, you know, you know there's manipulation here. And so I think the safety net is the community. And then the other side of that is um, how do we get clarity? How do we push through those fuzzy filters? Well, the way to do it is through surrender. The way to do it is letting go of the agenda and saying, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say, I will follow whatever you call me to do. And then understand that they will, that will look cross-shaped. That will look like yeah. Jesus. That will look like letting go of the things that hold us back and the sin. And, um, and But as we do that, clarity comes yeah. because it's us, that makes the, it's us that makes the message fuzzy, not God. God is still speaking clearly. It's us. It's our humanity, our flawedness, our, our agendas that make that problematic. And the, and, and the community provides safety for us. So the person who's stressing over every thought now, the flip side of that is that to understand that Jesus said, I've come to call you friends, not servants. So we shouldn't be expecting God to speak to us about every little thing in our life. We have autonomy in God. It's a, it's a, it's a partnership. So sometimes God says, this is what I want you to do. And sometimes God says, well, what do you want to do? And for a life surrendered to God, we, we can use our talents, our giftings, our abilities to make good, wise decisions with good counsel. And therefore, it, it doesn't have to be this God, God, God told me, God told me, God told me. In mm -hmm. fact, there was a study done um, in the US by a practical theologian and a psychologist called Stephen Parker. And he looked at this whole spirit leading issue and he found that quite often where you had um, not without this understanding, people exhibited signs of ego diminishment. In other words, childlike behavior, the child who can't make a decision for themselves. And sometimes the whole God talking thing becomes uh, something to fill that inability mm. to make good choices. So we have, so to hear the spirit is to also grow up in our own understanding about how we should live, to use our mind, our understanding, our resources to follow Jesus. It's not one mm. or the other, it's in, it's in friendship, it's partnership. Yeah, I love, I love that. That's awesome, makes me think. Uh, a couple things makes me think of Acts 16, where Paul has the dream. Paul's given the dream, but then it says, we concluded to go to Macedonia. And then you talk about this like partnership. The dream didn't say, hey, go to Philippi. The dream just said, I mean, just communicated Macedonia. 
And so they choose the leading city in that district because they're church planting strategists. And they know that uh, if you if you could reach the city, you can reach a wider region. And so there, and so there is this partnership of like uh, the revelation that comes and the and the team that is deciding together what this means. But then at the same time, they and their own agency know what works practically. Let's go to Philippi. So yeah, I just see a lot uh, a lot of that in scripture. I love how much you focus on Acts because I totally agree with you that. Uh, the book of Acts is so overlooked. We, it's like, it, it's as though 1 Corinthians 14 is the only chapter in the Bible about prophecy when you read a lot of the scholarly literature. And I just feel like, man, there's so much about prophecy in the book of Acts. So, uh, yeah, that was really, um, that, yeah, yeah that was one of the big surprises, I think. Um, people just keep skipping to 1 Corinthians, where the context is the Sunday service and prophecy, so giving a word to another person. But what we see is that people can hear directly from God for themselves. And therefore, we don't substitute one for the other. Otherwise, we're heading back to the old covenant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then, you know, the other thing, you talked about how sometimes it's like God gives confirmations, like he'll give give the word to this person and give the same word to that person, etc. Like, so this Sunday in our church, and we practice prophecy as part of our Sunday service, and uh, somebody, somebody, somebody prophesied what, you know, might've been viewed as a general word. I mean, we, we give real specific words and over individuals and, uh, and, but this one particular word, it was just like kind of fueled our ministry time afterward. It was that God was setting people free from addictions, especially that have been sort of generational experiences mm -hmm. like dad had it and grandpa had it, wow. et cetera. And what they saw was an image of a lion breaking chains. And so this was communicated by a member of our prophetic team. Well, I had completely forgotten about this, but during the worship service, like during our musical worship time, on two separate occasions, I had seen like a lion's face. It looked like Aslan. And I was like, oh, the Lord's doing something. I don't know. I didn't really even, I honestly didn't even take the time to interpret. I was just kind of like worshiping. I was like, there, I saw a lion, whatever. And then it like, but it happened on two occasions. But when he said that word about a lion break and change and generational addictions that the Lord was breaking off, I remembered it. And, um, you know, if I was real faithful, I probably would have like remembered it the whole time. But anyway, I'm not always that faithful. So, uh, but my point is the Lord confirmed it. And so when I said that, I think that it, I, I followed up and explained, Hey, I actually saw this twice during the service. So you saying that, and then I saw the line, uh, confirmed it. We had a whole lot of people coming forward for prayer at the end of the service, but I think that's an example of what you're talking about, Tanya, is uh, is the Spirit's confirmation. And I know, um, so yeah, anyway, so that's that's a story. But I actually, I know we're kind of running low on time. So I'm going to ask you one more, one more question here, and then we'll probably just summarize things from there. Um, so here's my question. When you talked about, you know, Grudem and this sort of like minimal authority and uh, fallible words and so on, and of course you believe that words can be fallible, not necessarily, not the revelation itself, but our interpretation and application of it. So pressing into that uh, a little bit, I can imagine like if, if you believe that we can deliver authoritative prophetic words, like Paul authoritatively needed to go into Macedonia to obey this dream. Like if, if you believe that we can give authoritative prophetic words, the cessationist is going to say, well, then that challenges the authority of Scripture, because what if your word 
what if they what if they take the prophecy at greater value than the scripture and what if the prophecy tells them to do something against the scripture so one they would say it looks like your view of prophecy could challenge the authority of scripture the other thing they would say is that your view of prophecy could challenge the sufficiency of scripture because if you're getting crystal clear binding on the conscience revelation from god well that sounds a whole lot like a whole lot like what the bible is clear binding on the conscience revelation and so it sounds like your prophecy it's almost like it's adding to the scripture because it's uh because it's binding on the conscience and authoritative and so how does your view of prophecy not endanger the authority of scripture or the sufficiency of scripture so let me go back to my little story. How does God speaking to me about moving from Melbourne to Sydney challenge the authority of Scripture? Oh, I'm going to take that as rhetorical. <laughs> Actually, what it does is it affirms the authority of God and the authority of what Scripture teaches doesn't it? Because the spirit is being given to each one of us. Peter said that the spirit was given to sons and daughters. And then he said, and this is not just for you guys assembled here. It's for you and your children and your children after them to every generation to come who chooses to follow Jesus. We can expect that the same God who spoke to them speaks to us today. So how does, how does that challenge the authority of scripture? Yeah. I mean, so what about I, the sufficiency of scripture? I would say is the follow up. So, how is the scripture sufficient if 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 the Bible? And obviously, we believe this, but this would be the question, right? Um, if the scriptures are sufficient, if they're complete, tell me everything I need for my life and practice. And then God tells me I need to go to um, you know another city to become you know a minister. I need to, I need to go plant a church in Ada, Oklahoma. Let's just say that's just a random example um that applies to no one specifically but like hey go play uh, plant the church in ada oklahoma and i and i were to say okay um i want to do that however i don't see it in scripture and if the scripture is sufficient to give me direction and instruction for my life and practice then then this prophetic word isn't it adding to scripture doesn't that kind of undermine the sufficiency of scripture so so you're i think totally makes sense on authority doesn't contradict but but would it be is the scripture really sufficient if we have ongoing prophecy today? Uh, perhaps if you're attempting to add an extra book, the, um, the gospel according to Josh, and make it binding for all people for all time, I guess. Not yet. No, not yet. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to travel to some jello kingdom uh, and for God to give me the next present that the before, before I decide to write another book of the Bible. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, and I'm not meaning to make fun because Joseph Smith did that, right? Um, so we're clear that Scripture right, yeah. is sufficient to giving us the conditions of salvation, but we understand the truth of Jesus's words that the Spirit speaks and takes those foundational truths of the gospel into our situation. So what God is doing in your life is actualizing the truth of the gospel in your life and what that looks like for you, Josh. Yeah. So um, we're just following the promise of Jesus and the pattern of the New Testament church. And it yeah. doesn't threaten what Jesus has said and done in any shape or form. What it does, it makes it come alive for you. Yeah. And, and I, I think you said, said something. That, so. I think you said something crucial to to the sufficiency of Scripture argument is that uh, is that when it comes to prophecy, like what you said is 
Josh, unless you're writing a book that's binding on the conscience for all believers everywhere, then no, because that's what the Bible is. The Bible is binding on the conscience for all people everywhere. In fact, even if you're an unbeliever, um, everyone is required to obey the law of God and everyone will be judged a sinner and, and apart from the work of Christ on the cross and faith in him. And so, uh, and so we're all accountable to God's word. It's binding on the conscience for all people. But a prophecy over a person, that's different. That's not binding on the conscience for all people everywhere. Therefore, it doesn't endanger the sufficiency of Scripture because nobody's writing a new book of the Bible. So uh, anyway, I think that's a yeah. crucial distinction to make between prophecy. Prophecy is like, not binding on the conscience for all Christians everywhere. I like what Sam says when he says, to, to disbelieve prophecy is to undermine the sufficiency of scripture because the all sufficient scriptures don't have a single verse speaking of the cessation of spiritual gifts. So if you believe that this, the gifts of the spirit have ceased, then you're actually undermining the sufficiency of scripture because the scriptures are insufficient to tell us that you actually have to read it into the text of scripture. So, um, I, I total agreement. Love what you're saying. I think this is great. Uh, Guys, we need to, yeah, we need to wrap know, up this program. Yeah. Uh, so so I'd, I'd like to, if we can, just kind of run around and do kind of closing thoughts. I want to start with Michael, and then I'll put toss it over to Tanya. Give me some closing thoughts for this kind of God speaking, the gift of prophecy, the way that we weigh these things, test these things, uh, the, all the things that we discussed in our, our video that you want people to think and meditate on, that kind of one nugget. And, and maybe there's something that we left out that we didn't cover. And in these kind of closing thoughts, you might want to tackle that, that little nugget. That's totally fine. I'll toss it over to Michael and then to Tanya for a close yeah, sure. I think uh, I think what I would really zero in on is this is our new covenant inheritance. All believers in Jesus can hear the voice of God for themselves. Doesn't mean that we'll all be gifted prophets, but all of us can hear God's voice for themselves. And so I would encourage you, just like Tanya, I love that story where she's just like, Lord, if this is really you, if you can really do this, then speak to me clearly and I'll obey it. I would just encourage you to do that same thing. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Jeremiah 33, call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And uh, and and then I, I just want to add to that, and I wish we had more time to touch on this in this episode, is just it creates a real intimacy with God whenever you hear him by the Spirit speaking to you. And we did touch on the friendship with God piece. And Tanya, you talked about that. No longer do I call you servants, but instead I call you friends. Why? Because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but a friend does. So revelation is actually what distinguishes a servant from a friend uh, because we know the master's business and he's ongoingly showing us the master's business, which is what we see throughout the book of Acts. Go to Macedonia, Paul. Hey, Philip, go over there to that Ethiopian. And so this is just the Lord showing us his business and he's inviting us into a closer friendship with him. Our closest friends are those with whom we share a common mission. When we're on mission with Jesus, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in that context, and it's an intimate experience that will draw you closer to him. So take full advantage of your new covenant inheritance in Jesus and seek the face of God and the voice of God. That would be my closing thought. Tanya, what about Amen. you? Amen. Ta Tanya, Preach I, I it, don't brother. know if you left anything left for you. Hopefully you've got something. <laughs> <laughs> He's singing from my song sheet. You know, when I look back at my own journey and I see the difference hearing the Spirit makes um, prior to, to really hearing the voice of God, I, I knew a lot about God. 
I, I knew a lot of um, ideas about other things that people had taught me. I'd read those um, verses, you know, one of those famous verses in scripture, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. But when I started to hear the spirit for myself about my life, that verse became so real to me because I realized that God had a plan for me and hope and a future for me, plans to prosper me. And that's the difference. And I think when we understand that Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you my spirit. And that this is the, the defining mark of being a Christian today, that everyone can access the spirit for themselves. You don't have to rely on a, another prophetic voice. You don't have to rely on a pastor or a minister or the author of a book that you can hear from God. And it's not difficult. It just requires eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart and a posture that lays their life down and says, Spirit, speak to me. I want to follow you. I want to know you for myself. And I believe that as we posture our hearts in that way, our lives are going to be forever changed. But not just our lives, but the lives of all those around us because blessing is going to flow through to our communities and our families and our workplaces. Tanya, what a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for coming on the program. We're definitely going to have to have you come back on the show uh, to discuss further because, like you said, I think we're we're beating the same drum when it comes to friendship with God, uh, pursuing God speaking. For those of you who are watching and you're saying, wow, this was a fantastic discussion, I would encourage you, maybe subscribe to the channel because there are tons of discussions just like this on the channel as we discuss uh, theology, history, and the gifts of the Spirit. And if you're a regular viewer, just a reminder, we're crowdfunded. Maybe support in the links of the description. I would encourage everyone uh, to make sure that they jump on on the uh, cessationist video this Wednesday that we're going to be releasing responding to the documentary Cessationism. Uh, Tanya, before we sign off, can you tell uh, our audience of books that you've written, channels that you run on the YouTube space, blogs, websites, any of that stuff, how do people get connected with you? Because again, fantastic content. I think that the body of Christ would benefit from gleaning from it. Where should people connect with you? First protocol would be godconversations.com. So we have a whole raft of resources, podcasts, videos, articles, um, all designed to equip you to hear God's voice. Some of the things that we were talking about today um, have been published recently in this book, The Church Who Hears God's Voice. So it's a, how can I bring that across? There we go. Um, it's, a, it's a book that highlight some of the findings of my PhD, but there's also other books there that are a little bit lighter as well, but lots of resources that are helped to build the church. Fantastic. Uh, well, loved it. I think it was a great interview, Tanya. We're definitely going to get you booked back on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And for the rest of you who are watching, make sure to hit that subscribe button, like the video, and share it around to your friends who need to hear more of God's voice. And we will see you Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.